0: The real reason why people buy into the story, even if it is utterly absurd, is not because they believe in the narrative, it is because the narrative leads to the new social bond. That's the real reason.
1: Welcome everyone to this show. I am your host, Dr. Chris Martinson, and today's show is going to be one of the most important you'll watch this year. I've spent pretty much the past two years covering the science of COVID. Well, today we're going to cover the psychology of COVID, more specifically, the ways in which many societies and cultures around the world, principally countries holding Western values I've noticed, have overreacted, have underreacted, and have sometimes even dangerously fallen into what might be called mass psychosis, or more accurately, mass formation. During such moments, mental health declines. Societies can do great harm to themselves and to others as they irrationally overreact to perceived and sometimes entirely imaginary threats. Today's guest is Professor Matthias Desmet of Ghent University, who is one of the leading expert voices on this specific topic. In addition to being a lecturing professor in clinical psychology at Ghent University, he holds a master's degree in statistics. Professor Desmet, I know you're a busy man these days. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and welcome to the show. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And what's the fourth condition? The fourth condition is uh, that there has to be a lot of free-floating aggression and frustration. And that also, that follows follows from the first three conditions. If people feel socially disconnected and they feel that their life uh, uh, makes no sense or has no meaning, and they are confronted with a lot of free-floating Anxiety and psychological discontent that is hard to to control mentally. Then they will typically feel frustrated and aggressive. And all the all this free-floating frustration and aggression will also be without object. People will not know why they feel aggressive, but they will feel it or they will feel frustrated. And in this condition, something very typical uh, uh, typical happens. People start to look for an object of uh, or for a mental representation um to which they can connect their anxiety and their frustration so and then if under these conditions a narrative is distributed in society through the mass media indicating an object of anxiety and at the same time providing a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety something very specific happens something very important all this free-floating anxiety might connect to the object of anxiety indicated in the narrative. And people might be extremely willing to participate in the strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, which is indicated in the narrative. And in that way, that's the first stage that has a specific psychological advantage. All this free-floating anxiety is now connected to a mental representation. So, which means that people experience more Psychological control in the situation. And then something, a next step is taken. Something happens at another level. Meaning, because many people participate in the same strategy to deal with the object of anxiety, a new kind of social bond emerges. A new kind of solidarity. So people feel connected again. In a new way, and that's that's actually that's the most crucial thing. If you look at the Corona crisis, and you listen at the main uh, 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 you listen to the mainstream narrative, then you will hear that everything is about solidarity. You have to participate. You have to accept the vaccine. You have to respect social distancing because if you don't, you lack citizenship. Mm-hmm show no solidarity so that's the most crucial thing always in mass formation so that's the real reason the real reason why people buy into the story even if it is utterly absurd is not because they believe in the narrative it is because the narrative leads to the new social bond that's the real reason and then there is a fourth advantage All the frustration and aggression can be directed at an object and that object is the people who, for one reason or another, do not want to participate in the mass formation. That's typically historically, time and time again, we see the same process when a population, for instance, the really large scale mass formations as they happened during the French Revolution, which were not very large, but they were large. The large-scale mass formations, which um, uh, uh, led to um, the emergence of uh, communism and Stalinism in in the Soviet Union. The large-scale mass formations, which led to uh, Nazi Germany, to the the emergence of uh, of the totalitarian state in Nazi Germany. They all shared the same characteristics. The population was exactly, um, these four conditions were, were fulfilled, and then a new kind of solidarity emerged. And all the frustration and aggression was channeled by directing all the uh, by directing it at uh, at the people who um, who did not want to participate uh, or who couldn't participate uh, in um, in the mass formation. So, and then you have this very strange situation where people start from a very negative and diversive mental state, lack of social bond, lack of meaning making, uh, free-floating anxiety, and uh, a lot of frustration and aggression they switch from this very highly aversive mental state to a symptomatic positive state where they feel connected, their life makes sense because they are all, uh, uh, life starts to make sense again through this heroic struggle with the object of anxiety people are united in their struggle against the coronavirus for instance Mm -hmm. so uh, and their anxiety is connected to a mental representation and they can satisfy their frustration and aggression so they they, they, that switch from a highly negative mental state to a positive mental state um, uh, brings people in a kind of mental intoxication that's why people continue to believe in the narrative even if it is utterly absurd and and You know, the measures, the corona measures, for instance, like the social distancing, the mask wearing, uh, uh, the vaccination strategies, they function for a certain part of the population. And I'm talking probably about probably about 30 percent of the population. It's not not much more than that. Only 30 percent of the population usually is really into this process of mass formation, into this process of a collective hypnosis then there are an additional 40 or 50% who just go along with the masses, who will never never go against the current because in one way or another, they think it's better not to do so. And then there is an additional 20%, sometimes 10%, that depends a little bit, who really uh, is not hypnotized at all and who also wants to speak out and do something to change the, the situation. But the first part of the population, the 30% who are really into the process of mass formation,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, for these people, The more absurd the measures are, the more the better they will work, the measures, and the more they will be inclined to buy into the narrative. That because the measures is this
1: function the bigger the bigger the lie, the better. Is that what we're talking about? Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, but the, the the measures really function as a ritual, and the rituals are a kind of behavior that has to be without pragmatic meaning, and that has to demand a sacrifice of the individual. Uh, by, per- by participating in a ritual, an individual shows that the collective is more important than the individual, meaning that rituals have to be a kind of behavior that is without pragmatic meaning, that leads that has no advantages for, for people, no pragmatic advantages, and that... Uh, for which people has to sacrifice something. So that's 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 a strange thing, that for a certain part of the population it really doesn't make a difference whether the measures are absurd or not. And that's what that's what's so strange for the people who are not in the process of mass formation, because they look and they see what's happening here. Do, do, do the people not see that, that that what's going on is utterly absurd and that it is it, it it's even dangerous? Uh, but no, they won't. They be because. Uh, It's brilliant. This cuts right to the core of um,
1: like, this is how profound it is for me. So children, not at all really statistically just not even touched by COVID, except for very few have some comorbidities. Actually, the science says they don't really transmit COVID all that well either because they have such high innate immunity to this thing. And yet there are people out there saying we need our children to be masked even though there's no science to support the idea that the mask does anything except it probably harms the child's cognitive and social development skills at a critical period of time. So people are willing ritualistically
0: to sacrifice their children. Indeed. That's powerful to me. Is that what we're talking about? That's what we are talking about. Yes. That's exactly what we are talking about. And that's like, yes. So uh, this process of mass formation has some symptomatic advantages, but it, 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 it has huge, huge disadvantages as well. Um, and, and one of them is, the first is that the field of attention really gets very narrow. People only see what the narrative indicates. And that's something typical for hypnosis as well. When someone is hypnotized, uh, he will only be aware of the part of reality uh, uh, the hypnotist focuses on. And that's exactly the same in mass formation. So in mass formation, people are only aware of the part of reality, both cognitively and emotionally, uh, that is indicated by the by the hypnotizing or by the by the mass narrative. And that's, that's the reason why people don't seem to be aware um, of the of the collateral damage of the measures. In one way or another, people know somewhere that there is collateral damage of measures, but it has no cognitive and emotional impact. That's the problem. It's, it's not, it's not, there is no psychological energy attached to these mental representations. And that's why they have no impact at all. So people will. An example
1: might be, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly awful. Worst thing ever that a 78 year old obese man with four other comorbidities died of COVID. That's terrible. Um, A 28 year old whose gym was shut down, whose livelihood went away, who fell into a deep depression and then took accidentally a fentanyl overdose and they died. We ignore that. This is terrible, but that's not even doesn't even impact us. Yes,
0: it will have no impact exactly because when the when all this anxiety and all this frustration and all this aggression connects to this narrative that indicates an object of anxiety, all the psychological energy Mm. is connected to this narrative. And what is not in the narrative is not. Uh, 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 uh is not connected to psychological energy and that's exactly why what is the the things that are not indicated by the narrative have no impact they have no emotional or cognitive impact they exist people hear that there is collateral damage but it will have no impact now that's you can understand that perfectly from a psychological perspective and and it has a also like there is a there is a second problem. The process of mass formation, crowd formation, is similar, if not identical, to the process of hypnosis. And it also makes that people who are grasped in a process of mass formation are not aware of the egoistic disadvantages they suffer. So when someone is in mass formation, you can take everything away from this person, even his own life. He will not notice it. You can take his health away, his wealth away. you can take everything away. he might lose um, his future and his and his and his freedom. Uh, he will not be aware that he loses it. That's one of them. and you see exactly the same in hypnosis. The attention is so much focused on one point in a hyp- through a simple hypnotic procedure that you can cut straight through people's flesh and bones literally with a simple hypnotic procedure you can make someone radically insensitive to pain to this extent that you can perform a surgical operation on that person, that you can cut straight through the breastbone, the person will not notice it. That shows the power of of hypnotic procedures and also of mass formation. And that was so striking from a historical point of view. uh, When historians uh, uh, saw what was happening in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, they felt like they have never been they they had never seen something uh uh, like that before because totalitarian state and totalitarianism is something completely different from a classical dictatorship it's something completely different in a classical dictatorship people are scared of the dictator because of his physical power but in a totalitarian regime everything starts with this process of mass formation it and it's grasps people in the core of their being it brings them under a kind of hypnosis and that makes that uh, that the uh, totalitarian state has an extreme power over individuals also over their private life and over their cognitive and mental functioning which is it's completely different from a from a classical dictatorship and it's exactly because it is based on this process of mass formation or mass hypnosis
1: uh, I'm, i wanna, i want to i want to explore this uh, so the relationship hypnosis and, and mass formation hypnosis at the individual level, mass formation operating at the collective level across a culture. How many people are susceptible
0: to hypnosis? Not everybody is. A lot are. a lot are. Okay. Usually, usually I think about 80% of the people, it depends a little bit. It depends a little bit. The extent of hypno the the, 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 the depth of the hypnosis will not be the, the same mm-hmm. uh, for everyone, but in, in um Mass formation, usually only about 30% of the people is really is really uh, into the process of mass formation, not much more. Okay, and, and for that 30%, is there any
1: relationship between intelligence and susceptibility to that? Not at all.
0: Hmm. Not at all. Really? No. And that's a strange thing. That's one of the major characteristics of a, of a crowd or a mass, uh, that everybody becomes as intelligent or... <laughs> Maybe better as stupid, is, yes. <laughs> but, but they, they are not, and, and that, 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 that applies to highly intelligent uh, people, uh, equally well as, uh, as to less intelligent people. Um, it, that, that has been studied in the 19th century already, very extensively. But it was very clear that uh, even the, the, the most intelligent people uh, were completely blind and completely insensitive to rational argumentation, for instance. Masses are only sensitive to strong visual images. And to repetition of, a, of time and time again the same message, and uh, uh, also to uh, to the presentation of numbers and graphs and statistics. If you if you present numbers and statistics in a visual way, they will have a huge impact on the masses.
1: Now this is really near and dear to my heart because part of my work is I work with a lot of doctors who figured out early treatments and they're very flexible and creative. And they've just been shut down and squashed. I know I know people who consider themselves really intelligent, um, really successful individuals, also doctors, uh, who still to this day in this country, if you get uh, COVID, you might end up in a hospital on remdesivir in a ventilator, even though we've known for 18 months that's a death sentence and it's not state of the art. And I know mm-hmm. people who will vigorously defend that that's the right thing to do because they're a doctor and they're all wrapped up in it. I don't know how... how How do you mentally come back from that knowing that you've been a German in 1933, or you've been Mm -hmm. um, a a Jacobin at the Bridget Nantes, you know, uh, drowning people in, in the French revolution, or you've, once you've, once you've gone there, how do you get back?
0: That's a very good question. So it's extremely hard to undo a process of mass formation. That's very clear. Um, For instance, it's, it's, it's extremely hard to, to 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 wake someone up who is in the process of mass formation but gustave lebon i don't know if you're familiar with gustave lebon he wrote a very important book on, uh, on mass formation in the 19th century uh, the psychology of the crowds it, it was called and he describes already there that uh, if the people who are not in in the mass formation try to wake up the people who are in a mass formation uh then they will be confronted probably with failure they will uh, uh, be confronted with the fact that 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 They are unable to to wake up the masses, but he says, nevertheless, it is extremely important to continue to speak out. Because if people continue to speak out, the hypnosis might become less deep and it will become less deep. Uh, Gustave Le Bon presents several historical examples of uh, situations in which which, uh, um, uh, people who were awake, continued to speak out um, and prevented the masses from committing atrocities because that's typically what masses do because uh, one function of the mass formation is um, um, the satisfaction of all this frustration and aggression you know the fourth condition masses typically typically have the inclination to show the tendency to um, to commit atrocities and they typically do it uh, 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 being convinced that they perform an almost sacral pledge and that it's something that that, that, that they, they do something that is that is a that is a really their duty and that, that that has to do with the fact that uh people in mass formation are convinced uh that what they do is for the greater good for the for for the well-being of the collective uh, but they forget of course that it is for for the well-being of a certain collective and at the disadvantage of a, of a, of another of another a part of the population but anyway so uh, it's hard to wake the masses up uh the only thing but but if you continue to speak uh, the 30 percent of the population who is really into the process of mass formation uh, uh you, you well you will make the hypnosis less deep uh, in this uh, part of the population and you might prevent um, um, the masses from from committing atrocities so it's extremely important to continue to speak out um, that's the most important thing I think I want to ask a question about about the how about going about speaking up because
1: if if I heard how we got into this there was repetition there was ritual there was um, that hypnotic sort of getting people in so we know how hypnotists wake people back up again right so so they bring them back out into their larger out of the narrow focus out again. To me, what what so uh, and by the way, this is my entire work in the world now is trying to like help wake us up in time mm-hmm. uh, to prevent those atrocities from getting worse than they've already been. Uh, so an idea I have is is to is to use uh, repetition. And here here's my here's my highest thing. If we can just back it up a bit, we can say, listen, I'm no public health expert, but if I was one, my highest goal would be reducing mortality. Like my efforts either made things worse or made things better. I don't have to get involved with whether the vaccines work or people died with COVID or of COVID. Let's just back up. And I can tell you that right now in the United States, all cause mortality is running way above even last year and it's way above where it should be. So I can say, Hey, um, I think we're failing at this and we should do better. Mm -hmm. That's an open question, you know, just put it out there. But if we had multiple people actually pushing on that, like different, Different. I know lots of other thought leaders and people who have big platforms and large followings. So if we all started saying that same thing, I'm just wondering if, if messaging would that be effective? If we started pushing on one scratchy sort of a unanswerable
0: question, yes, that will be effective to a certain extent. I believe so. Yes, definitely. What, okay, fantastic. But we should not. We should. We should not immediately a very large uh, expect a very large effect. I, th- I think I think it, I think we will we will be able to wake up someone here and there, or uh, but uh, but uh, not not the large portions of the population. I think, but it's ex- extremely important. That's exactly how we have to do it. I think. Just try to talk in an as sincere and honest way. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, try to continue to speak out. Uh, try to continue to make sure that uh, there is a dissonant voice in, in, uh, in the public space. That's extremely important, because if you look historically, for instance, you can see that it was exactly at the moment that the opposition was silenced in public space, that there was no dissonant voice anymore in, 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 uh, in, um, in public space, that um, the totalitarian states uh, started to commit uh, their absurd atrocities. Uh, that happened in 1930 in, um, in uh, uh, the Soviet Union and around 1935 in Nazi Germany. At that moment, the opposition was completely silenced, was completely erased in public space. And at that moment, the system really turned absurd. For instance, Stalin in the Soviet Union, he started to kill no matter who. In the end, he killed he killed 50 percent of his own. Uh, of his own party members, who usually hadn't done anything wrong, so um, and that, that that's something typical. I don't know if you're familiar with the work of uh, uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, a, a German Jewish philosopher, philosopher who wrote this wonderful book, uh, *The Origins of Totalitarianism*. Um, she says that at the moment, um, uh, opposition, uh, the opposition is radically silenced in public space. At that moment, the totalitarian state becomes a monster that divorces its own children. That's exactly what she says. Mm. The totalitarian system becomes a monster that divorces its own children at that exact moment. So it, that shows us again that something radically different from a classical dictatorship. And when a classical dictator uh, manages to silence the opposition, he usually will become more friendly because this guy, a classical dictator. Has a certain tactical awareness. He knows that at the moment he is in charge, and at the moment he really uh, overcame all opposition. He knows that at that moment it's important for him to show the population that he will be a good leader. <laughs> That's what he realizes. But in a in a in a total in a totalitarian state, which is based on this process of of of, of, of sleep and 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 hypnosis, um, the totalitarian leaders are not aware or, or do not have the brains at that moment to just know that it will be to their own disadvantage if they as they if they continue uh, to commit atrocities but that's exactly what they do even it even gets much worse once they are once they really have or the only voice in public space so it's so it's so important to understand that difference between classical dictatorships and totalitarian processes for instance also totalitarian leaders typically are also hypnotized by their own voice and their own theory. Mm. They are hypnotized. Gustave Le Bon says that. Hannah Erwin says, says it uh, as well. They are hypnotized by their own ideology, meaning that they do not believe what they tell the people, but they are so convinced that what they are trying to do in society, that the ideology that they are trying to impose to society is will bring society to a kind of paradise they are so convinced that what they are doing is the good thing that they feel that it is justified to lie to cheat to manipulate and so on that's typically but they are absolutely ideologically hypnotized they are hypnotized by their ideology that's a, something that is radically different also from classical dictatorships and if i yes. could um
1: so uh much to the to the chagrin of, of, I think, many in the profession, we we saw that uh, psychologists worked on nudge units in the UK and in Australia and probably New Zealand, probably the US. But but these were psychologists who said, hey, government, we're going to help you dial up the fear so that you can get people to do the things you want them to do. And of course, the government is believing, I think you're right, it, it feels right to me, that the government, the officials in this, they believe this is the right thing to do. They know that. We know they're using actual Techniques that have been honed and developed. I mean, you read the 1928 book by Bernays; it's, it's already a fairly comprehensive superstructure of how you go about doing this. I'm sure is as inelegant as phones were in 1928 compared to today. I'm going to bet the technology, the understanding, the the neurolinguistic mapping, the the, the psychological processes. I bet we understand those better. Um, so, so this feels a little bit like there is an agenda. But I got to be honest. It's actually only really being run in the Western countries at the level I see it being run. So that's the United States, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, the UK and Europe. I don't see India struggling with this at this point in time. Would Would you agree or, or does this feel like it's kind of localized to
0: Western but societies maybe, at this point? Maybe. I think what happens now is that many of, of the of our leaders are convinced that we need to move from a, a a democratic system to a technocratic system i think that most of the people are convinced that this is the only solution for the unsolvable problems we are facing now and i think at that level they really believe that they do the right thing mm. so i think they they are convinced that uh, if we want to deal with climate change with the corona with, with, with the pandemics with with all kinds of other uh, uh, problems we need to move from a democratic to a technocratic system and that's why the i think that many of them are so convinced that they indeed feel that it is justified to use psychological techniques such as nudging and so on uh, um uh, to 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 make people believe in the narrative and to 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 convince them to go along with the narrative to buy into the narrative i think that's what happens i think we have to distinguish between the, the level of ideology and the level of the narratives that are distributed in the, in the uh, uh, in society, I think that our leaders believe that at the ide- ideological level they do the right thing. They even uh, choose for the only uh, possible solution. And I think that many of them will not really believe in the narratives they are distributing. I think that many of them will consider the narratives as a kind of an instrument to uh, uh, to to make the ideology happen. So I I think I think that's about what happens. Uh, I don't think that is that it that it, yeah, enfin, yeah, yeah I, t- I think something like that happens. Um. okay, this is this is absolutely brilliant. So,
1: so I, I think we're at the heart of this now for for me and my understanding where I'm at in the development of understanding this. So what I'd like to do is try and understand it from their perspective. So, uh, they sleep at night, they believe they're doing a higher order good. Maybe there's some self-interest and some power and some usual ego and greed and stuff like that wrapped in. Always is, hey, we're humans, but but they believe in on some level in this larger story, which if I listen to the Davos crowd, they tell me specifically that they're very concerned about something that I think is real, which is that by 2050, we'll need three planets of resources and we only have one, right? And there's mm-hmm. an issue there. We we know that we're at this really unusual part of our species development where we've kind of grown into the edge of our petri dish, and now we got to you know, go to a, a plan B. Their plan B, though, is technological nirvana, this technocracy. Um, so I, I can only imagine like Fauci, I can get my head around Fauci. He seems really committed to the idea that everybody needs to be on this vaccine program and that that's the only way like to the exclusion of every other possible measure. It's all about getting everybody right down to infants on a vaccine program. So if I put myself in his head, he must believe, at least on some level, leaving aside money and power, that that is a right thing to do. Mm. That that brings us yes. somewhere yes. we
0: should go. I think so, yes. yes. Yeah? Yes. But it's dangerous, of course. It's not because people believe that you're doing the good thing, that you're not dangerous.
1: No, no, oh. no. It's... It, it, it lacks yes. all humidity is uh, humility which is um, that you know guess what these are complex systems they have emergent behaviors we can't predict what's going to happen da, da, da. exactly But I, I, I think they think they can control everything control yes yes yes, yes yes everything yes. and yes. get a predicted
0: outcome at the back end of the of course that. yes well, 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 from from a from a, a science point of view, this idea of being able to control everything is absurd. As you you, yes. you refer to complex dynamical systems, uh, to the emergence of complex dynamical systems, we all know that complex dynamical systems are unpredictable in the, in the chaotic phase. They have this characteristic yes. of determin, deterministic unpredictability. Lawrence, Edward Lawrence wrote this wonderful paper on deterministic in, unpredictability of complex systems. They should read it all, and then, then they should realize that they started something that will lead up to only one thing, to self-destruction and mm-hmm. that's exactly that's exactly what uh people like lebon and Arendt already described that totalitarianism always destroys itself always and <laughs> because it is it, it it's it's well it's so important to realize because the people who do not buy into the narrative who do not go along with the narrative and who wonder what they can do we just gave them the advice that they have to try to continue to speak out that's one important advice but the second one is that the best strategy always is non-violent resistance. Always, that's the best strategy because every kind of violence used against the system will be used as a justification uh, uh, for the aggression and uh, and uh, and the frustration to channel the aggression and the frustration to that group. That's one thing. And the second thing is that the second thing is that the group who doesn't buy into the narrative. Does not have to destroy the system. The, the, the system always destroys itself. Always itself. It's intrinsically self-destructive. But it can take a while, of course. And then that's why um, it's very often necessary to uh, establish a kind of parallel structures that that allow uh, uh, people to, to to survive more or less or a little bit independent from the independent from the system. Um, but uh, well, yes, I agree. Uh, completely with that, 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 that uh, uh, people can think they can control processes as the ones that are happening now, but they can't, definitely not. Science shows this uh, in, 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 in in the most clear cut way. Um,
1: Yep. It's it's an absolute guarantee. I love this idea of parallel structures. uh, And and, uh, that's what I do with, with my tribe, as I call us, Uh, we, we are practicing with those parallel structures, but to me, the steps are one you have to be aware that this is happening because that's that's my first line of defense so when i read nudging articles right so um here's one from uh the omicron variant just came out a few days ago and um i'm looking here at a at a pbs article it reads first 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 sentence worried scientists in south africa are scrambling to combat the lightning spread across the country of a new and highly transmissible omicron variant is the world grapples those are all leading 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 terms to me those are all emotionally charged and they're they're mm-hmm. like you say they're ungrounded it's just sort of free floating look at all that anxiety mm-hmm. lightning speed blitzkrieg mm-hmm. fire mm-hmm. is scrambling you know and it's just mm-hmm. and it turns out i called up some doctors in south africa and i said what are you dealing with And they're like it, it seems mild you know it's like like i can i can perform better journalism than these people but they're caught whoever wrote this is caught Nobody had to teach this person to write it that way, did they? Mm-hmm. No, no, they just knew, right? Well, yeah. indeed, yeah. So step one is, if I can see that happening, I I can be immune from it. And then step two is, I think we got to find each other and and come together so we're not tons Connect. of little voices,
0: yeah. Connect because that's mass formation emerges in a disconnected society. So people have to be. Socially atomized, uh, uh, Hannah Arendt called it. So they have to be socially isolated. There there has to be a lack of social bond. But once mass formation is established and once a totalitarian thinking emerges in a society, it makes the social isolation even much worse. That's very typical. Um, uh, In in, in a totalitarian state, um, uh, Arendt says there is only one bond that is allowed. And there's the bond between the the state and the individual, but not between the individuals. So totalitarianism typically um, destroys all the social bonds between individuals, and that's why we have to do, try to do the opposite. We have to try to connect with each other, to try to connect as much as possible differently. So speak out um, uh, and uh, connect with each other. Um, that are two very important, uh, two, two extremely important uh, things. Yes.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, It will pass on its own, though. um, I think Charles McKay, to paraphrase badly out of memory, said that it it has been seen that men um, think in herds and they go mad in herds, but they will recover their senses only slowly and one by one. Something like that, right? Something like that. You can feel this mass psychosis. Um, As we come into uh, the last part of this, I'm curious, because a lot of this feels intentional to me. Your 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 estimation is how much of this looks intentional versus this is just how it goes. It's
0: a mixture between the two, mm-hmm. I think, as always, as always, and I think people typically have the inclination to overestimate the intentional part, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean, of course, that there is no intentional part. i I I I also I I, I agree with you, and I also believe that um, uh, many uh, experts and leaders now know. That the vaccination strategy actually doesn't really work, or that that at, at least uh, it, it doesn't didn't bring us what uh, what we could expect. Many experts know that uh, uh, face um, uh, mask wearing actually uh, uh, doesn't lead to less um, contamination. So, for instance, and sometimes the experts also tell this uh, uh, in the mainstream media. I remember one virologist here in Belgium saying that. Uh, the the mask wearing is a symbolic measures because it remembers people uh, um, every day that there is a pandemic and they and that they should um, uh, go along with the, with the with the with the measures or that they should, should uh, stick to the measures. So I think people know it indeed, but I think that again I think what these people still believe that maybe this vaccine didn't, doesn't work, but in the end. Uh, um, it will be the best for everyone if people get vaccinated three times a year. Um, uh, so this 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 ideological fiction, this belief that uh, we should replace a nature through an artificial system, natural immunity through an artificial system, this is so typical for for totalitarianism. This was typically maybe. People are not aware of that, I think. But that is what totalitarianism is. Totalitarianism always tries to establish an artificial world in an artificial society, which can be entirely rationally controlled and manipulated. Um, uh, th- th- that is uh, the ultimate goal of of uh, of, uh, of uh, a certain uh, mechanistic ideology, which is also the basis of totalitarianism. Because um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, so, th- I I do believe that uh, the experts know that many of the measures and stuff uh, don't really work. But I think they are still convinced that their system and their ideological approach of, of, of society um, uh, will be the best uh, ever, I, I think. Uh, um, and in the end, it becomes entirely absurd, of course, because in the end, they are willing to sacrifice 50% of humanity to re- or even 100%. Uh, to make their ideological fiction real, and that's the the absurdness of uh, of um, of, uh, of this kind of thinking. yes
1: Yeah. Well, well, the COVID measures don't work from a public health standpoint. That's clear. Um, you know, and as they say in the military, once is an accident, twice is coincidence, but three times is enemy action. But if you dare point out uh, that that that's the case, you'll find yourself censored, marginalized, maybe lose a job. Mm-hmm. This happens a lot. So there is a high cost to speaking up.
0: Oh, yes, of course. Yes.
1: Um, yes. It would you, is this just, do we just have to bear that cost because that's the times we live in? Or is there a way to split the difference? Or, because I know a lot of people losing jobs
0: out of all of this. Um, yes. They speak up. You know, the ancient Greeks knew, knew already that uh, speaking the truth is always dangerous because you can define truth as that part of knowledge that uh is in conflict with public discourse the ancient Greeks considered it like that as soon as a a narrative um, uh, is dominant in public space you will start to to feel that the narrative is incomplete and that in one way or another um, 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 someone should say in public space that there is a problem with dominant narrative, and the ancient Greeks knew that the one who tells it, the one who who tries to say what everybody feels, but 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 that nobody dares to say, that person is in danger. So and that's what that that's what the ancient Greeks considered uh, speaking the truth. And it means uh, they called it parasia, uh, so a, a kind of speech which uh, um, consists of just telling that. Something that everybody feels that it should be told, but that nobody dares to say. And if you do that, you are in danger. That's true. And I think we we should we should continue to try to do it, because uh, the better you understand what is happening, the more you see that actually there is no other option. There is no other option. If we shut up, we will be in danger as well. People mm-hmm. who now go along with the narrative, people who now go along with the narrative, do not realize that the danger they expose themselves to. Or they, they, they have no idea what's awaiting them. And it, it, could, could we even say that that as that expensive
1: as it is now to speak up, it'll be more expensive if you yes, wait?
0: Yes, definitely. Yes. That's one more thing. And I, of course, I think we have to be careful and we have to be as polite and as friendly as possible. And I think we, we do not only have to speak for ourselves, we also have to speak for the people who believe in the narrative because in the end, it will be clear that uh, they need a dissonant voice. And 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 that 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 mm. without this dissonant voice, the system will close and, and will become radically self-destructive. And I, I think and maybe we can also learn something from them at certain points. I mean, but we have to try to establish an, an open conversation as much as possible as possible in society. And that and we have to do that for everyone, not only for ourselves, but also for the people who are into the mass or the, the mass phenomenon, because in the end they are human beings as well. Yeah. And um yeah. So with compassion, I, I I'm often saying that that uh,
1: for the people who've who've gone off that into the mass psychosis, when not if, but but when they come back, I'll welcome them. There's not going to be big ugly lessons learned, rubbing their noses in it kind of thing. Like let's listen. Can we just uh, everybody has to be welcomed back into this into reality as I call it at this point. So the reality yeah. we face huge predicaments. A problem has a solution. A predicament just you have to manage the outcome. We're facing huge predicaments. Economically, ecologically, we've got energy issues. Mm. Like big things that we really need our best minds on, and we need full. full, We have to have the ability to have uncomfortable conversations, right? Mm. It's like, and if we can't even do that around something as simple as should people take vitamin D or not, you know, without that somehow becoming, you know, uh, against the the state narrative, I think we're in trouble. So I really think this is important. You know, to me, tell me if you disagree. But what's at stake? is literally everything. Yeah, right. I like living in an abundant, well-functioning society. I think that mm-hmm. could all break if we mismanage this to the point that our currency collapses because we didn't figure out how to close the gap between the debts we have and the liabilities we have in reality. If we don't do that on our own terms, it'll come on nature's terms. And I don't like that. I'd rather do this um, consciously and elegantly. So I mm-hmm. think that's what's at risk to me everything
0: yes i agree i agree um yes definitely and that's that's exactly this this the the, ultimately um, mass formation always destroys the core of the human being Mm. it destroys the humanity in the human being and so we are human i think as long as we try to speak to each other yeah and And that—that—that's the use of language and the establish uh, establishing a social bond through speech is what characterizes a human being and what makes it different from other living beings. And I think that's what we have to try to represent. We have to try to represent humanity in this crisis and to try to prevent um, uh, that um, uh, humanity disappears. And we have to do it just by trying to continue to speak, to be respectful to the other people, to be to, to give them the right to have their own opinion, to even give them the right to be in a mass phenomenon, to be in a ma- in mass formation. But by just telling them, we will try to continue to speak to you and we will try to continue that there are people who think differently, that there are people who, who, who uh, uh, look at it from a different perspective. Uh, we have to be as sensitive as possible, as honest as possible, as sincere as possible. But uh, that's the only solution, I think, or that's the only uh, way to prevent the system uh, to close and to destroy everything. Um, which I will—I don't believe it will. I—I I, I really, I'm really optimistic in this sense. I believe that there will be a group of people who manage to continue to speak out and who will bring change in, in 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 this situation but I'm, I'm 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 not naive in this respect that the next years will be very tough years i think uh mm. um but well we know what to do i think <laughs> that is yeah. Oh. yeah
1: this is uh the good that's come out of covid for me is i've i've found people like yourself like the peer cory like all the all the doctors out there who who are really speaking that truth to power even though um It costs. So we find who has integrity. We find who has moral courage. We find who's intellectually honest in this story. And and that's wonderful. Um, That's very good because, because we need to find each other as a first step. Yes. And, and this is when a great reshaping, I think good things we can come out of this better. Um, The fact that 11 million people in Belgium are consuming 300 million doses of antidepressants in a year tells us there are things we can improve upon. Yeah. so that's the hope, the hope I
0: have and the opportunity in the story is that we can do better I think we can yes indeed and that is the real problem the real problem is not the virus maybe the virus is also a problem and definitely if you die of the virus it must be terrible and so on it's, it's not about that but but the real problem um, we try to find a solution for without knowing it is this psychological discontent and this psychological misery the society was in before the crisis. And the crisis and this narrative on the coronavirus was a symptom was a symptom of the real problem, which was actually the psychological um, state of the population, which in its turn was connected to our view on man and the world. Our mechanistic view on man and the world, our our mechanist, materialist view on man and the world. That's the real problem. A view on man and the world that actually is not scientific at all. Because if you look at the science of the last 150 years, it exactly showed us that we are not a biological machine and that the universe is not a mechanical system. Far from that. It's a system that is aware, that is conscious, a system that reacts to our consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's that's the real revolution, I think, um, that has to happen. That the old view on man and the world is replaced uh, by a view uh, that is different, and that's uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, 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 yeah. This is uh, this is where I've come to as well. Is this idea that. Um, that these might well be birthing pains, but this isn't. This is this is the moment where humanity, our consciousness, gets to come forward and understand that consciousness consciously interacts with itself and what this stuff we call matter and reality. It's it's a huge awakening, and for instance, we yeah. And nature's been running this experiment for a while. So either we step up to the plate and, and into our full potential, um, no. or or we don't. Uh, but that's literally what's at stake here. Is is uh, is probably the most worthy thing of all is to be a participant in um, a really incredible moment of evolution. And so maybe that's, a lot of this indeed. is is, um, is just how it goes, right? There's there's
0: it's this is, uh, getting born is never easy. I exactly. Guess. And that that's also why personally, I don't think that ultimately what we are dealing with is a conspiracy. It's an ideological problem. That's what I believe. Ultimately, of course, people conspire from time to time, and so on. But ultimately, we are dealing with a with a problem at the level of of uh of our, of an. We are dealing with an ideological problem. I think people are grasped in a certain ideology, a certain view on men in the world, uh, and it is this view on men in the world that is the real problem in in this situation. That's ah. what I believe. I believe yeah.
1: so too. So, so the framing then becomes that those who are want to give us this technocratic future they envision. To them, the dichotomy is they they say it's it's this future progression. This is where we were always going, but in fact, they're trying to hold us back into a very old ideology, mm-hmm. which is not the one we need. So it, that's the fundamental tension in that story: is that it's it's inaccurate. Um, and yeah, they're promising us everything while delivering us the past. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work. Fantastic. So how do, how do I help you? How does my tribe help you? What do you tell me about this book you're writing? And, um, and I know people are going to want to follow you more closely after this and um, find out what you're saying and thinking. So how do we do that?
0: I, well, you, you, you helped me already now by just uh, giving me the opportunity to speak and to, to bring my, my, my story here or my view on this problem. So that's one very important thing, I think. And if you want, you can invite me another time when I finish the book. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Absolutely. Finished. It, Done. it's finished. It's finished. It's, it will be published in January. It is finished now, but it still has to be translated in, uh, in English because I wrote it in Dutch. Um, yeah. Yep. And what's the yeah. title? The psychology of totalitarianism. Beautiful. That's oh. going
1: to be, yep. We'll have you right back on. Cause uh, I have a lot of people interested Wonderful. in that on, on my end. Oh. Absolutely. Well, um, Doctor, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your work in the world. And uh, this has been a fabulous conversation. And I really do plan to have uh, a follow-up with you very soon. Thank thank
0: you you very much for inviting me and for listening.